0: All right, it's good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. I trust you're having a good week. It's certainly been a beautiful week this week. Starting to get some warmer weather. If you would turn your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1. It's going to be kind of our beginning kickoff. off text, but we're going to be looking at a lot of other texts as well, passages of scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to God always for you all. Making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. i drop over to chapter 2 in verse 10. It says, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe." As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So, you know, we started a couple weeks ago about uh, some things about standards. uh, We talked about church attendance and spending time with the Lord in Bible and prayer, Bible reading and prayer. And tonight, you know, we wanna I wanna look at lay a foundation as why we we establish godly standards in our life and what the purpose of those is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege to have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, for your mercies, which are new every morning and your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your giving us the word of God that we might uh, know and learn and grow and understand more and more how we ought to live and conduct ourselves in this midst of a perverse nation among whom we shine as lights under the glorious gospel of of the, of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray that you'd help us, give us wisdom and understanding, help us to understand this truth and as is vitally important as to our effectiveness as a distinctive witness in a world that is um, without hope and without... God, uh, so we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Your standards are not an end in themselves. We're not to glory in our standards. Uh, it's not so we can be different than other that's, you know other people, or so we can gloat about how holy we are, or, you know, or or uh, uh, judge other people because of their lack of godliness or standards. That's not the purpose. The purpose of standards is, of course, these, these ought to be something that the Lord works in our hearts, uh, convinces us of, a, of this truth, and we do it to please Him. Just to please Him. Just like a child wants to please their parents. We ought to desire to please God. And they are to reflect the holiness and the glory of God. That's the purpose of it. To reflect the holiness and the glory of God. Uh, we are to project, you know, as, as we witness to the world of our God, we ought to project that our God is holy. We um, ought, ought to show our reverence for Him. It's not We ought not to have standards because of what they do out there, but because of what the Word of God says and what God desires of us. Uh, you know, and, and it, 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 it is a platform from which our witness can be effective. Uh, you know, think about it. In the last 50 years, of course, most of you aren't old enough to have been around, you know, years as many years as I have. There's I guess there's only one here older than I am tonight, I think. But anyway, you know, 40, 50 years ago, this was common. You know, Christians having biblical standards was as common, common as... Uh, hot dogs and apple pie in America, as far as in the Christian community. Standards were very common. It was understood. But, you know, in the last, you know, 40 years or so, uh, yeah, anyway, maybe more than that, you know, there's been a shift away with the the influence of the seeker-friendly churches and the contemporary church movement, and now we have the emergent church movement and all this, and, you know, you can be, you can be, quote, politically conservative and spiritually liberal. So so you're conservative politically, quote unquote, but spiritually you don't have any standards basically. That's what that means. You just live like the world. You know, you can social drink with the world, wear the world's clothes. You don't you're dressed, there isn't any distinction in the way you dress whether it's men or women. You know, there are Bible standards for men and women. If you didn't if you didn't realize that there are. You know, we ought to be covered from the neck to the knee. Uh, that's a biblical standard, generally speaking, uh, and, and you know. So you know, but but you know, standards of morality have gotten thrown out the window, um, and I, and I believe I believe it's, it's my opinion that as the church goes, so goes the world. So goes the world, and and we as churches in America have lost the respect. Of the world. Then why do you think that is? I believe it's because Christians generally do not. Live out. The glory of God. And I think we're going to see that here. Uh, That's that's what. You know, that's what Paul says here to these Thessalonians. Now, these Thessalonians were, this church was birthed under affliction. There was a persecution. You know, this is one of those cities where Paul preached the gospel and then had to flee. He fled from there to Berea and then Berea and other places. So, there was, there was affliction and persecution from the very beginning. And yet, he, he tells them that, that from them, they were in samples, verse 7, to all that believe in Macedonia and Caï. Then in chapter 2, verse 10, Ye are witnesses in God also how holily, and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And he, of course, he says, And we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. In Ephesians, when he wrote to church at Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, in verses 1 and 2, he tells them, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So it, you need to endeavor to walk in the Spirit. And if we endeavor to walk in the Spirit, we're going to be sensitive and submissive to what God desires for every area of life. I was reading a Facebook, on a Facebook page someone here just recently and and I can't remember the context exactly what, what was said prior to that but uh, one of the things was the question was do you think God cares about what we wear and the answer that was given is no, God doesn't care what we wear that's just not true from a biblical perspective God does care what we wear He does and We probably won't see that tonight, but we will see it eventually. You know, God cares about every area of my life. And, you know, this is what we call real practical Christianity. Faith ought to affect your way you live. Otherwise, it's not biblical faith. You know, in in the book of Romans, for example, in chapters 1 through 11, Paul talks about the great doctrines of the faith. And all people like to talk about the great doctrines of the faith. I remember we had a a uh, couple that came to our church for a while and she was flabbergasted by all these scholarly preachers, new evangelical preachers. And she said she went to this uh, it was a Christian Missionary Alliance church and they had doctor so and so in there for a week and he, she said it was like he was up here and it was just like wow. But you know, the whole problem with a lot of those wows is it never gets down to real practical living. It's just they, they try to amaze you and how much they know about the Hebrew words and the Greek words and and the doctrine of justification and and what that all means. You know, it's like teaching a a a a, a, a Bible college class or something. It's, it's it's you know all this you know and they use big words and 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 quotes and and so on and so forth and to impress you with their intellectualism, but it never gets down to real practical living. You no. Know, so Paul spent the first 11 chapters of Romans talking about the great doctrines face, And then in chapter 12, what's the next thing he said? Now I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a bodies. Oh, so this doctrine should affect my body. Yeah, it should. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonably service and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what he's saying is, look, knowing all these doctrines, your body should be, you should look at your body different and use your body different than the world does. You shouldn't conform your the things of the body with the things uh, with like the world does. You know, and this is true throughout the Bible, in Ephesians chapters one through three again talks about the great doctrines. Chapters four, he talks about walking worthy of the vocation, wherever you're called. And in the chapter 4 and 5 there, the word walk is used five times. Five times. He tells us to walk in the Spirit and uh, not feel the lust of the flesh. And so, this is the purpose. This is the purpose of Bible standards is to demonstrate the holiness and the glory of our God. You know, how will the world see the holiness of God? How are they supposed to see it? You know, and and think about this. Will they see their sinful state without some understanding of God's holiness? You know, if if a Christian, quote-unquote, lives like the world does, doesn't have any standards and... and, and, uh, you know, uh, practical holiness—the the impression they're going to give to a world is the world is that you know God's not. God's just sort of like us. He's not holy and reverend. As Psalm the psalmist tells us. In fact, look at Matthew chapter five, and verse sixteen. Matthew chapter 5, and verse 16. This is a familiar... Let me read a couple other verses here ahead of it. Verse 7, verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 13. Matthew 5, 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? You know, we're to be the salt of the earth. You know, salt is the preserver. So to preserve, you know, I believe that as Christians, we have a, a, a role in preserving... Morality around us and where we live. And, of course, salt also makes one thirsty. And we ought to give people a thirst for God. But he says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its savor. Notice, his savor, not its, his. Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. So, if your Christianity is just like the world, what good is it? It's really of no value. It's really of no value. Um, you know, if our God is just like all the other gods, there's no significance about him. Verse 14: Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So we're to be little light. We're, you know, the candlestick here is, uh, you, know, you know, he says we are the light of the world. We're like little lights. You know, Christ is the, the light of the world, but we are we are to reflect him to a lost and dying world. And then it says in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And that word glorify there means to be of the opinion To praise highly, to magnify. You know, one of the things they said about the the church in the book of Acts, the first Baptist church at Jerusalem, you remember in Acts chapter 5, Ananias Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost and lied to the church. And of course, they were struck dead. And then it says this, and there was people continually being added to the church. But it but it but it but but it struck fear in people of the church, a reference. you know nowadays, people aren't afraid of the church, they just want to they just want to go to a church to soothe their conscience that they've quote unquote worshipped God during the week. It doesn't matter which one it is. Just as long as they've been to church, just as long as they've given some little money in the offering, just as long as maybe they've taken communion or, or whatever it is that they feel that they need to have this some kind of relation with God, which isn't real. It's just on Sundays. But God isn't really reverenced, and neither is the church. You know, it says here that they may glorify. In other words, to praise highly, to be of the opinion, to praise highly. You know, years ago, nobody would have thought or considered stealing from the church. But now they do it all the time. Yeah. You know, people people drive around. You know, this this went on for this was a thing for a while and when we were living in Pennsylvania. Every once in a while, we'd have somebody come driving by, or the car broke down down the road just over the hill, and they'd come with a few little kids that looked like they were needy, you know, and they wanted money. And I remember one particular case they wanted some money, and they had these, I think, five kids. And had this, you know, big sad story about something that happened, catastrophe in their life, you know. So, and, and and so pastor tried to get them to, we would never give out money. We just said, you stay for the service, and we'll sit down and talk about it. Well, you know, they, they really wanted the help and, and so on and so forth. Well, we didn't give them any money, so they, they didn't stay. So we found out they hit two or three other churches within a, a an hour's radius of us and you know someone took up love offerings for them, and you know they probably got away with a couple thousand dollars on a, on a, on any given Sunday it's stealing and look at also at First Peter 2 1 Peter 2 verses 11 and 12 1 Peter 2 verses 11 and 12 <clears throat> I'm going to back up to verse 9 here also. It says, but you are a chosen generation. Paul's writing to the churches that are scattered abroad. Or, I'm sorry, Peter is writing to the churches scattered abroad. He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You know How did the priests in the Old Testament dress? Did they look any different than the rest of the people? The Bible tells us they were to be dressed for glory and beauty. Glory and beauty. That's how they were dressed. You know, I think as Christians, we ought to we ought to, we ought to dress modestly, of course, and uh, which means really means well ranged, according to the scriptures. But but we ought to be ought to look kept, you know, uh, not haphazard, uh, like obviously well, the accident waiting to happen. Uh, but having it together anyway. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. That means you're a special purchased possession. Of God, that ye should sow forth the praise of Him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation, that word conversation means your manner of living, honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, in other words, they're going to notice, glorify, and that word again means to praise highly, to magnify. So they're going to, they're going to glorify or praise highly God in the day of visitation. Day of visitation refers to when, when catastrophe strikes their house or calamity happens and they're, they're looking for some hope. They're looking for some answers to life's questions and life's problems. You were to live in such a way. Notice it says, "You know, this isn't just what we put on, what we wear, but also being honest." That's, that's kind of a. That's not near as common as it used to be. It's becoming rarer and rarer. Honesty. And so, you know, honest among the Gentiles. You know, they may speak against you as evildoers. They may not like your, 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 your standards of living and your manner of life, but they will respect you. You see, it is through us. They, they are, we are the only Bible people read. So it is through us that they're going to see that our God is a holy God. And He can only be approached as a holy God. You know, God can't be approached as the man upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. That's very irreverent to a holy and righteous God. And we see this taught throughout the Scripture. And Basically, what I want to do tonight is look at a lot of verses. uh, And we'll start in First uh, Corinthians chapter six, First Corinthians chapter six, and verses and, and this, this caught my attention. There are two "whats in this passage Question Verse 16, 1 Corinthians 6:16, 6, verse Corinthians 6:19. Verse16 says, "What? Know ye not that he that which is joined to an harlot is one body; for two saith he shall be one flesh." But he that is joined in the Lord is one spirit. So he's, he's contrasting here uh, you're committing fornication and being a Christian. He said they, the two don't mix. It's like oil and water. He's contrasting it. And then he says, Flee fornication, verse 18. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sitteth against his own body. What? Here's the what again. Okay, here's the contrast. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So, so he said, as a Christian, fornication is out. It's, it's, it's of the world, it's not of God. The two don't mix. And so he says, don't give your, if you've been born again, you shouldn't give your body, you need to run away from fornication. You know, fornic- and again, at Corinth, fornication was looked upon as okay and legal and fine. Accepted in society. For well, the men to go to the 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 pre or the, the the temples where there was open fornication, and that was accepted. But it says it isn't acceptable with God. It's not acceptable with God. It is a sin against God and a sin against your body. So so he says you're to glorify again, to do honor, to highly praise God before a lost and dying world. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You know, it's interesting. A lot of this comes in the book of Corinthians because they had great problems with it. And uh, so we can thank the church at Corinth for their help to us in our, in our day and time. But Second Corinthians 6, verse 17, Wherefore, if I command them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Now, the word perfecting here is, is, a, is a word that's a, describing an ongoing action. We will never arrive at perfection, this side of heaven. So it's an ongoing thing. We call it growth. You can call it growth. You can call it sanctification, progressive sanctification. All those things are the, the same idea of perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Or you might say perfecting how to glorify God in your body, in your life. That's really the idea there. So God wants us to be perfecting that. You know, none of us have accomplished that. As I'm, you know, looking over things for Sunday morning, you know, Paul talks about, I'm not yet attained, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I'm not apprehended, that for which I am apprehending. In other words, he's saying, I've not yet arrived to where I want to be. I'm not yet arrived at perfection. I'm working at it. I'm continually yielding my life to the Lord and trying to progress in that. And that's what he's saying here to the Corinthians. Uh, And so we ought to be perfecting, working to accomplish uh, these things in our lives. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Again, you could could probably go through every epistle, every book in the New Testament, and you'd find these principles. Ephesians 1, verse 3. That we should be holy and without blame. Of course, that's speaking of our positional sanctification. We are made holy by the Lord at salvation. And it shows us to that. And it says, we are to be the praise of the glory of His grace. After all, we've been accepted in the Beloved. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 1st timothy 2 this is a passage that's often used preached from the preached dress standards particularly for women but these, the subject really is prayer that's kind of the subject of this chapter he starts out in verse 1 I exert therefore that first of all supplication prayers intercessions giving thanks be made for all men and, and you know for kings for all that are in authority that we lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You know, again, there's only one God. He's the holy and righteous God. And to, and to pervert that is to come up with another God. To, to, to throw off the holiness of God is to pervert or corrupt the image of God before a lost world. And that's what's the, what's this, that is what contemporary Christianity is doing. They're corrupting the, the image and the glory of God. kind of reminds me, I was reading a book today about uh, the disciples, and the author was giving a history of the Samaritans. And I thought, you know, that's just the same thing that the contemporary church is doing. Because the Samaritans, what they did, you know, when Assyria came in and, and, and took captive the, the northern ten tribes and carried many of them off into Assyria, and then they sent Assyrians to live in the land of the northern kingdom of Israel. And Samaria was the capital, you know, and, and so they sent these Assyrians to live there, and, and the lions attacked them and, and everything, and, and, you know, they said this place is safe to live. And, and the Israelites said, well, that's because you don't know the God of the land. And so they sent priests out of captivity back to Israel and the northern kingdoms to teach the people how to obey the God of the land. What what happened was is they taught these people, they, they, they yoked up with these people, they intermarried with them, they also intermingled with their religions. And false gods, and so come up with their own god and their own form of worship, their own tabernacle, their own temple, and 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 their own form. You know, it was in Mount Gerizim, and so it was a corrupted Judaism. She went, "Well, say it was a false." And God, as far as God was concerned, it was false. It was a false worship. Doing you know that's what contemporary Christianity is doing. It's the same thing. They've, they've used the world's methods and the world's manner of living, the world's music, and tried to unite it with biblical Christianity. And what we have is a corrupt, a false religion. There's only one God, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained and a preacher and apostle, verse 7, to speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. And here we go. I will therefore lift that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting, in like manner. So he's going to tell the ladies how to lift up holy hands in prayer. In like manner, also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now you might say, what does dress standards have to do with prayer? Well, do you think dress standards can affect your prayer life? I do. Because the way you dress affects the way you feel about yourself. Let me, let me illustrate. This is published on Intellectual Takeout by Annie Holmquist, November 21st, 2017. And the doctor, title is, The Doctor Explains Why It's Not Prudish to Encourage Modesty. And I quote, When a couple of young female passengers were barred from boarding a United Airlines flight because they were wearing leggings, the Internet exploded with accusations of sexism. When high school girls in L.A., showed up to school in spaghetti straps and off the shoulder tops, the dress code was deemed outdated. And when actress Mayim Balik, Balik and the Olympian Gabby Douglas suggested that dressing modestly might protect girls against predatory attacks from individuals like Harvey Weinstein, both were nearly run out of town on a rail. What these incidents suggest is that anyone who hints that modest dress is appropriate and helpful for females is irrational, out of touch, and completely unaware of a woman's mindset and needs. But according to one doctor, such an opinion is opposed to reality. Writing in Psychology Today, medical doctor Leonard Sachs take issue of school dress codes. Sachs, also an advocate for common sense parenting, explains that research shows a decided academic Disadvantage for girls who dress in more revealing clothing. Even when isolated in a private room, young women dressed in swimsuits perform much worse than those in sweaters given a math quiz. The reason for this, Sachs explains, is simple. We actually have quite a bit of research now on what happens when a girl or woman wears skin-tight leggings or a swimsuit. Often what happens is self-objectification. The girl or woman assesses herself as an object on display for others. And the more public the setting, the more likely self-objectification is to occur. Self-objectification is distracting. It's hard to concentrate on Spanish grammar when you're wondering whether this outfit makes your thighs look fat. Girls who self-objectify are also more likely to become depressed. They are less likely to be satisfied with their body. They are more likely to engage in self-harm. In essence, Sachs seems to be inferring that those who encourage modest dressing are not self-righteous prudes that we've made them out to be. Instead, their ideas may actually be the ones which are more accepting, considerate, and advantageous advantageous to females. So, does dress affect your prayer life? Yes, it will. Yes, it will. You know, the Bible says here we're lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And men are to do that too, holy hands. You know, if you're if there's sin in your life, it's going to affect your prayer life. And so God desires, again, there's there's a the desire for God uh, of God here for us to be holy in manner of life. Um, and I must move here. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. You know, the, Titus 2, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, a lot of people like to isolate that verse and talk about the grace of God. You know, because of the grace of God, you know, there are no standards in the Christian life. Well, there's nothing you and I can do or way we can live to make ourselves acceptable before a holy and righteous God as far as salvation is concerned. But if we want to be pleasing to him as Christians, there's some things that he commands of us. And he does expect of us. Just like, you know, do any, of you, any of you that had children, did you not, do you not ever have any expectations for your children? <laughs> of course you do. There's things that you require of them. Otherwise, they're going to be, well, as a lot of them out there in the world, just plain Brats. Why? You have expectation. The grace of God that bringeth salvation to, hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So, So just like a child who's waiting for daddy or mommy to get home, they, they you know, some, some of you can probably remember there was a few times where you didn't want dad to come home. You know, most days you were wanting to see dad come home. Those were the days that you didn't cross mom, didn't disobey mom, and, and she say to you, you wait till your dad gets home. Yeah, and that's what he's, that's really the idea, same idea here you know we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. It's going to be a glorious appearing because he is glorious and that's how he wants us to live in a way that is glorious, glorifying him. Hebrews chapter twelve verse 14 says follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the lord you know, Psalm 119 verse 18 says this open thou mine eyes that i may behold wondrous things out of thy law you know, to to the bible says here if we're going to we're going to without holiness no man shall see the lord it means to gaze with wide open eyes to see Him as He really is, we have to be made holy by the Lord Jesus Christ. And to see God as He really is, to learn and grow and understand Him, we have to come to understand that He is a holy God and He expects us to walk. He desires of us to walk in holiness. And so. You know there is a reason. Of standards, you know again, are not an end of themselves, but they are to reflect and project the holiness of God to a lost and dying world. You know what kind of image of God are we projecting to the world? Is it one of holiness? Is it a true image of our holy and righteous God? That's what the world needs to see, and that's the privilege that God has given to us as his children to protect the image of Christ to a lost and dying world.